Welcome to another episode of the SaaS Podcast. I'm your host, Omar Khan, and this is a show where I interview proven founders and industry experts who share their stories, strategies, and insights to help you build, launch, and grow your SaaS business. In this episode, I talk to Shruti Kapoor, the co-founder and CEO of Wingman, a SaaS product that helps sales teams get better results by providing them with real-time insights from every sales interaction. In 2017, Shruti was working for a fintech company in India and ended up running a sales team. But she constantly struggled to get the CRM to work the way their team needed, and she couldn't find a good alternative solution. So she and two friends got talking and decided to start their own startup. The following year, they launched the first version of their product. But getting customers was a struggle when they started out. Their first 40 meetings with prospective customers resulted in zero sales. Despite the rocky start, they've grown their SaaS company to multiple seven figures in ARR and in 2022 sold the business. In this episode, we talk about the struggles and challenges the co-founders faced while starting and building their SaaS business, what they did after failing to close even a single sale after 40 meetings with prospective customers, how they've used online groups and communities to find customers by getting their existing customers to post and talk about them. And we talk about how they've used SEO, content marketing, and social media to create an inbound marketing engine that drives over 90% of their revenue today. So I hope you enjoy it. Is your team struggling with spreadsheets that can't keep up with your workflows? It's time to switch to JotForm Tables. JotForm Tables is an all-in-one workspace that lets you collect, organize, and manage data seamlessly. Not only can you create online forms to gather data directly in JotForm Tables, but it also serves as a powerful tool to manage and analyze the data collected from your existing JotForm forms. You can also import spreadsheets or enter information manually, and all your data is stored securely in one place. JotForm Tables makes collaboration a breeze. You can share your tables with a single click and work with your team in real time. Say goodbye to version control issues and hello to efficient teamwork. Get started with JotForm tables for free today at sasclub.io slash JotForm. That's sasclub.io slash JotForm. Are you looking to sell your online business or buy one to start your entrepreneurial journey? Discover exciting opportunities with Bupos.com. Bupos is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses and the first to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers. At Bupos.com, you can explore their exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. Bupos can offer pre-approved financing for recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding with no personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash Bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next deal. Hey, are you struggling to grow your SaaS business? As a SaaS founder, you know that having the right tools is crucial for growing your SaaS business effectively. But with so many options, choosing the best ones for your needs can be overwhelming. That's where the SaaS toolkit comes in. This handy guide covers the 12 essential types of tools you need to supercharge your growth. Inside, you'll find a detailed look at tools successful SaaS startups have used to scale to seven figures and beyond. It gives you specific examples and makes practical recommendations to help you choose the right tools for your SaaS business. Don't miss out. Visit thesastoolkit.com to download your free copy and unlock faster growth for your SaaS business. That's thesastoolkit.com. All right, Shruti, welcome to the show. Thanks, Omar. Glad to be here. Do you have a favorite quote? Something that inspires or motivates you that you can share with us? 
Yes. Um, selflessness is overrated. Um, yeah, I feel, you know, as you become a founder, you need to realize that you can't just, you know, expect people's goodwill to get you through. Uh, you need to make sure that you're always thinking about what's in it for them and spelling it out and like trying to actively create the what's in it for them. Um, and I think that's that's an important lesson in life overall, uh, you know, not just for founders. Tell us about Wingman. What does the product do? Who's it for? And what's the main problem you're hoping to solve? Sure. So Wingman, um, you know, is a platform that analyzes all of the sales interactions uh, with, you know, three main goals. One, get uh, sales folks better coaching feedback to enable them in real time. So as they're going through a call, if you could get the feedback versus, you know, waiting for the manager to review the call a week later and then, you know, maybe have a coaching session two weeks from there. Uh, and three, it enables people to get a full picture of what their pipeline looks like, where their deals are, um, so that they can go and, you know, make sure that uh, they're doing everything that they need to to win. You launched the business in 2018, but the story starts uh, a couple of years before that. So why, why don't you tell me how you came up with the idea for this business? Absolutely. So I actually uh, landed somewhat by chance or by mistake uh, into sales. Um, so I was, uh, you know, previously working on the investing side for a long time, uh, decided I wanted to get my hands dirty with startups, uh, joined a fintech company called Pioneer and, you know, figured that I would be best suited to figure out their go-to-market strategy, uh, right? Knowing absolutely nothing about uh, go-to-market strategies. And uh, at that point, you know, what that meant was working with the product and the marketing teams uh, and, of course, creating the sales team going out and selling myself and trying to get those early customers for Pioneer in India. Um, and through that process, I kind of realized uh, some of the challenges, uh, you know, that I'm trying to solve with Wingman. Uh, one of them was definitely not knowing why certain sales reps in my team were doing so well. And some reps who were putting in a lot of effort uh, were still not getting the numbers. Um, so I think that's kind of where I got curious and said, listen, I want to join your calls, but then it becomes too onerous. You know, one out of every two or three calls will get canceled. You waste so much time. Um, and so I was like, you know, what if they could just record their calls and then I could go back and review it? Um, but the other challenge was that because we were a distributed team, we had product and marketing sitting in Israel and then, you know, sales sitting in every country that they were selling to. Um, and so the other challenge that I was uh, frustrated by is getting the voice of customer over to a product. Um, so I think both of those, uh, as I thought more and more about it, I was like, you know, if we could only have these calls recorded, archived, searchable, uh, that would be a gold mine. And um, that's where the journey started. But you didn't do anything right away, did you? It still took some time before you the founding team came together and then you built the product. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, uh, I think I was at Pioneer only for a year and a half or so. Uh, and so I think that process, um, you know, kind of started at that point. Uh, of course, before we formally launched, um, you know, we spent a lot of time getting feedback from, um, you know, different sales leaders, trying to understand what would people do with data like this? What is the right way to think about like, how do I get value out of this data? Because we understood that this was valuable data, but you know, this is such a large volume of data. The last thing we wanted was that you have all of these call recordings and then 
you know, nobody is listening to it. So I think we spent uh, some time in just understanding what the real challenges were, validating that it wasn't just a problem for me. Uh, and then, you know, trying to kind of build our own MVP. What would an MVP look like? Do you have one or two co-founders? Two co-founders. I got confused because I went on Crunchbase and there were like two, two of you, but I think there's three of you. Yes, there is three of us. How did you guys meet? How did you come together? One of my co-founders, Murli, and I, uh, we got introduced to a common friend. Murli had just, you know, left his uh, job at Google uh, in the Bay Area and moved back to India uh, because he wanted to start up. And, um, you know, at that point, uh, he was, you know, he was just scouting around for ideas, uh, thinking he wanted to partner with somebody from a business background because he's, of course, uh, you know, a great engineer and technical person. And uh, so that's that's the context with which we uh, got together. Uh, and you're right, it, it took some time for things to come together. So, you know, we met almost uh, a year and a half before we started up. Uh, and so through that period, you know, we were just hanging out, getting to know each other, brainstorming on a bunch of ideas, trying to validate, invalidated a bunch of ideas. Um, and Murli and Shrikar have known each other since their first jobs out of college. And they were also at Google together. And so uh, Murli was very clear that, he would want Shrikar to um, also be part of the team when we started off. And he managed to convince Shrikar to also quit his job uh, and move from the Bay Area to India to start this up. Did you look at the market in, the, in terms of competitors? Because there must have been similar products out there, right? So what, what did you see when you did the research? And then why did you decide that there was still an opportunity here for you to build something? You know, in our space, uh, the two uh, biggest competitors uh, were Gong and Chorus, right, even at that point in time. Um, but both of them, you know, uh, when we started looking at the space in 2017, were still relatively, uh, you know, early stage companies. And the concept of, uh, you know, conversation intelligence and how do you use this data and what do you use it for was also relatively early at that point, right? So what we felt was, one, nobody had a clear thesis or understanding of, uh, how to use this data. And we felt that, you know, the winner wasn't just because somebody decides to record calls and transcribe them because, you know, recording of calls has existed uh, for at least, you know, a few decades, uh, right? Uh, we felt that the real innovation or, you know, where the business needed to be built was in identifying the right use case for the data and being able to make sure that you're able to deliver that value uh, quickly. And we felt that that was not answered. Um, when we started building this out. And, you know, when we were trying to validate whether or not that was answered, we went and also spoke to some of the customers who were using the competitor's products because we wanted to understand like, hey, if you're using this today, does it solve everything for you or are there still gaps? And through that process, we identified that there were definitely things people were struggling with. Uh, and I think that was also an important learning in just knowing that, you know, what people say they will do in an ideal world versus what people do uh, is dramatically different, right? Like I know we are all familiar with New Year resolutions and how they land up. Um, and that was exactly the case with sales coaching where, you know, I think the products were built on a promise of saying that, hey, sales managers are motivated to do sales coaching and I will build a tool to help them do sales coaching better. But the fundamental problem was that sales coaching doesn't happen as often as people would like. You've gone out, you've talked to some potential customers, you've looked at the market, the landscape, you've figured out what you believe is the opportunity and the kind of product you need to go and build. How long did it take to build that 1.0 
version of, or the MVP, I guess, of Wingman? So we actually, you know, started actually writing code in May of 2018. And uh, we had our first uh, paying customer for the product in October of 2018. Um, And, you know, in between, we, of course, um, you know, we're still kind of had some working versions of the product. But yeah, that was the timeline. Five months. So five months to build the product and get that first paying customer. Yeah. I mean, that sounds great. You know, you, you ship the product, you already got one customer, you get excited and you're like, wow, we're going to be closing more and more of these deals. But from what I understand, it wasn't that straightforward. When you, you talked to a lot of potential customers and you didn't close any sales. So, t- so tell us about that. <laughs> yeah. So I think the first thing was, um, you know, we, we, uh, we got an early customer uh, and that was, of course, exciting. And, you know, we managed to sign a couple more customers after that. Um, these were all customers, um, you know, from our network, right? So these were not customers who we did not know. And therefore, um, you know, these were really useful uh, customers for, you know, as co-building partners and, you know, for giving us early product feedback, et cetera. But what we wanted to do was to, of course, and, you know, you need to do that is make sure that you actually also reach out to customers who are buying the product for the sake of the product and don't necessarily know you. I think the first challenge that we hit was even with uh, these friendly customers uh, that we had early on, they were not using the product the way we would expect them to, right? So we were hitting the same roadblocks in terms of product usage. Um, And, you know, that was baffling, but I think that was also our own lesson in understanding that, you know, what people say they would do and what they actually do is different. Uh, And so we had to kind of go and really sit down, understand what their workflows look like, tweak, um, you know, the product, understand what is the first you know, wow moment we could deliver them and, you know, how do you make that repeatable, et cetera. So there was, there was some work uh, required there. The second thing we did was, uh, like I said, we, we kind of went uh, and spoke to uh, people who were using the competitors' products and understood, you know, what were the challenges they were facing? Was it a product issue or was it just setting the right expectations? And then what we did was once we felt we were ready to kind of scale up, we, uh, you know, uh, at that point we launched an dramatically new feature for the product, which was this whole idea of being able to give real-time feedback to salespeople while they were on sales calls. Um, and we felt that that was you know, going to hit the nail on the head. That was allow, going to allow people to actually coach without being there. Uh, and we were um, you know, ready to kind of take it to the market. So we got uh, a sales consultant to help us um, you know, accelerate that process of reaching out to new customers. Um, and that person set up, uh, you know, great meetings for us. He set up 40 meetings with our ICP um, companies. And, you know, we we sold exactly zero to those 40 customers. And we were like, you know, something's not right. And that was really, really tough because we felt at that point, you know, we had a good product, we had a real differentiation, uh, and we were talking to the people that we wanted to be selling to. Uh, and so that was uh, the point where we were like, you know, there's something that we need to go back and think about. And I think what we realized at that point is, um, you know, what the product does, right, and what the promise is. Uh, sometimes as founders, we tend to um, oversell the promise as well. Uh, but what we don't account for is, you know, how the customer is thinking about it in terms of, 
their implementation cost or effort required to get value out of it. Um, so that was the challenge that we were facing in getting people to you know, adopt this new real-time uh, feedback mechanism. Um, and so, you know, once that became clear to us, uh, we were able to kind of go and make changes to say, how do we make this easier and quicker to get value out of? Give me an example of that, right? So if if a customer looks at the product, I mean, first of all, having 40 meetings and closing zero sales is got to be exhausting, right? But once you've figured out, okay, there's, you know, there's this potential issue here in terms of the perceived effort that these customers or these potential customers have in terms of adopting the product. Give me one example of that. Like what, what was it that was, that you realized they were seeing as, as difficult to implement and get started with? Like what did, what did they have to do that they didn't want to do? Yeah. So I think in this case, it was around creating content on a new platform. Right. And uh, what we needed sales enablement to do was to create these battle cards. Uh, right. So if somebody says, you know, talks about discount, then we want like uh, these three talking points to show up for the salesperson. Uh, and that was what we needed sales enablement to do. But this wasn't something that they were used to doing because they're used to you know, creating content either for trainings, uh, which is typically long form or, you know, self-service content, which is, you know, these detailed documents. They're, they're not used to writing like three bullet point uh, pieces of content. Uh, but this, the other struggle that they had was they did not, they were, they were also not kind of sure whether they knew what content they needed. Uh, right. Um, so, so to them, it seemed like they needed to invest in something without fully understanding, like, you know, how that would work or how that would get them results. Uh, and um, I think uh, it was also a case of, you know, the stakeholder who was going to be the decision maker versus the person who needed to actually implement the product and get value uh, were different people. And, you know, we didn't kind of know how to navigate that well. Uh, and I think that was uh, a reflection of um, you know us as founders because none of us had actually worked in SaaS, uh, right? None of us had actually uh, also worked in a situation of understanding how a multi-stakeholder you know product adoption uh, cycle looks like, uh, and you know how do you kind of navigate that from a sales and post-sales uh, point of view? If you're putting a, a product in front of a customer and they can get up and running, they can onboard in 15 minutes and start using it, that, that friction is very low. But when they have to do all of this work, maybe even kind of think differently about their own processes and, and documentation, and then they're doing all of this, but basically they're making a bet that all of this work would be worth it for this product that they haven't even tried yet. Right, so that's, that's kind of a, a difficult leap to make. So, so how did you solve that? I mean, that, that's, I think this is something that a, a lot of SaaS founders go through, that the, the perceived work, even though the customers might not say it, and it sounds like the 40 or at least the 39 people you spoke to weren't that explicit about it, but it's, it's, I think it's a common problem. So how, how did you go about solving it? Yeah, and uh, it took us some iterations. Uh, what we eventually landed up at was identifying the pockets in the product that required the minimum setup from customers and only pitching for those to get people started on, right? So in our case, like with the 
with the real-time feedback and, you know, just having a real-time note-taker there, uh, we identified that, you know, giving feedback on behavior did not require any setup. So I could have something that tells them that, hey, you've been on a long monologue uh, and we didn't need the manager or anybody else to do any work. Uh, similarly, we could, you know, use, get them to bookmark parts of the call in real time without, you know, managers or setup needing to do work. So one was identifying pockets that required minimal setup and using those as the hero examples in those sales conversations versus, you know, using all these complex things that required a ton of setup as the hero example. So it was easy for somebody to say, oh, I can instantly get value without putting in a lot of effort. And then if I wanted to put in effort, you know, this is what I could do, right? So essentially constantly being very diligent about saying, how do I create a wow moment with minimal effort so that then the person, once they see the value, then they will put in the effort. Uh, I think the second thing we did was, um, you know, just taking away a blank canvas approach and saying, we will give you enough in the canvas so that you only need to fill in the blanks. Um, so, you know, basically creating all sorts of templates that made it much easier for people to say, oh, okay, I only need to write these three bullet points. I know what the use case is. And in some cases, we would even use, um, you know, like different methodologies, different sales information that existed to create, uh, you know, that set of templates and initial things for them. So, again, trying to get give them value before we ask them to uh, invest effort. How long did it take to to figure that out and make those changes to the way you were pitching the product and presumably changes to the product as well. Yeah. So, um, you know, we, we spent like three months and this was largely during also our time at Y Combinator in having those 40 conversations. Um, we came back after that and we, you know, uh, what we said was, uh, we let's go and just continue to try to sell the product. Um, and maybe we'll just iterate on what value we are selling. Right. So we were still trying to figuring trying to figure out the positioning, value, etc. And so at that point, we did like a bunch of um, more uh, you know larger scale launches. Uh, and through that feedback cycle, we realized that there were some people who were buying the product. Um, and not using it for this specific use case. So we were like, you know, the first thing we did was became open to saying that we could have um, different packages of the product for people who might have different levels of tech readiness. So that allowed us to at least start getting some customers who did not necessarily want this complicated feature uh, and who did not care that there was, you know, maybe not a big differentiation story, etc. Um, right. And in the meantime, um, and thankfully, the changes that I talked about weren't so much product changes. They were more positioning and config changes that, you know, we didn't need longer cycles for. So we were able to quickly iterate on that. And like we spent, uh, you know, the next four or five months just saying that we'll just, you know, customers who are interested in buying, we'll just try to listen to them, understand what they are buying for, what they're using the product for versus trying to get people to adopt everything that we are trying to build on day one. Uh, and I think that really helped in, um, you know, getting to uh, the juicier parts of the product. Are you an entrepreneur looking to buy a profitable online business or a founder ready to sell? Bupas is the number one platform for buying and selling profitable online businesses. With their exclusive listings, as well as listings from other marketplaces, and the option to submit your own deal for approval, Bupas has you covered. Plus, they're the first to offer built-in acquisition financing 
for qualified buyers of recurring revenue businesses, allowing you to access fast funding without personal guarantees. And their experienced M&A advisory team supports you every step of the way. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash BUPOS. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to start your entrepreneurial journey or sell your business at the right valuation with BUPOS.com. Let's talk about YC a little bit. How much revenue were you doing at the time when you applied? Oh, we kind of just launched uh, this version of the product. It was, it was like, uh, I, I would say close to zero. And this was the first time you guys applied and you got accepted right away? Uh, we had applied previously with a different idea. Um, but yeah, with this, this was the first time we applied. I know founders who haven't been accepted because they didn't have any customers. Like, what was it? What do you think was different about Wingman? Yeah, so um, one, we did have like our first uh, three or four customers, right, uh, who were working with us at that point. I think the second point was that we were very clear about what our differentiation was, right? And that was around saying, can we actually help people scale coaching? The third thing was that I think we had also spent time and energy in understanding how we might be able to use our geographic uh, advantage and distribution um, to actually deliver better value for the customer. So in our case, um, so so there were basically things around saying, how do we make sure that we are going to continue to be competitive? Uh, and it's not just about, you know, one feature versus another. Uh, and I think those were things that uh, YC really cares about. Like, what is your long-term, uh, you know, chances of success and why? Once you made these changes to the way you were pitching, positioning, so on, how did that affect your close rate when you were talking to customers? This was, you know, roughly towards end of 2019. Uh, we started seeing um, that we were, you know, we were able to win um, much more, right? So we kind of went from, I said, you know, close to zero to uh, six digits in revenue uh, very quickly uh, at that point. Um, and that was, you know, within the matter of those uh, three months or so. From there on, um, you know, we kind of felt that what was working for us was having, uh, you know, some sort of inbound funnel or customers, uh, because what had worked in getting some of these was, uh, you know, we did like a product hunt launch and some, uh, you know, some early PR uh, that happened around YC. And so what we realized was that we then wanted to start building on that inbound engine uh, because, you know, maybe we were not ready for some larger customers. Uh, we needed to still build more trust in the market, but we could still be selling to, um, you know, the, the smaller end of the customers to start with and then, uh, you know, work our way up. What did you do to start building the inbound piece? But also, why didn't you just start doing outbound? Why didn't you just start cold emailing prospects and, and trying to generate leads that way? I mean, you're, you, you were the salesperson, right? So was that something that, you know, you, why, why did you rule that out? Yeah. Um, so we didn't rule that out. We tried both in parallel, uh, right? It's just that we saw more success uh, with inbound, uh, right? So, and all along the way, we've kind of always kept both the engines running. Uh, I think outbound uh, allows us to do more targeted campaigns, quickly test out messaging, et cetera, uh, which we then very often use, um, you know, even for our inbound funnel and marketing uh, overall. 
we did also get some um, customers through the outbound engine early on. Uh, but what we realized was that inbound seemed like uh, what uh, could be much more scalable. Um, of course, early on, it was, you know, me as the only person doing sales and marketing and SDR and, you know, all of those uh, fancy things um, that we have teams for today. And uh, I think, uh, therefore, my approach was to say, how do I spread the message across uh, based on what I understand about uh, the sales leader's buying behavior? Uh, and I think that's something that people miss on uh, sometimes, you know, you kind of reach out to multiple people for advice on, hey, how did you get your first 10 customers or your first 20 customers? Uh, and people forget that, you know, if you're selling to a salesperson versus to a developer, uh, you know, the way they buy a product, the way they evaluate a product, the way they think about the product is very, very different. Um, and so what we realized was that salespeople, one, are very social, uh, right? And they like to talk to each other. And they like to get, uh, you know, inputs from each other. And a lot of uh, what happens in sales is through word of mouth. Um, and so we kind of just doubled down on that. And we said, hey, where are people giving each other advice um, and sharing this? Right. And so uh, this was already, um, you know, by now we are already in the times of the pandemic. And we are beginning to see that, you know, there are all these online communities that are popping up. And I think that landed up being very fortuitous for us because we were then able to get, um, you know, spread that word of mouth using those communities, those online selected platforms versus just trying to do Google ads or, you know, G2 ads, et cetera. Which platforms were you, were you focused on? Yeah. So this was, you know, uh, like lots of revenue leaders, Slack communities that existed. Um, you know, there are lots of forums where revenue leaders exchange advice. You know, there were Reddit threads that our customers saw where, you know, people were asking questions around, say, price of a competitor. And they were like, hey, you know, we use this tool uh, and this is why. And so, you know, uh, it, it was very, very niche targeted communities. Uh, through which we then build uh, the word of mouth. One thing that a lot of people do, which isn't particularly well taken, is going into a new community that you just join and just start pitching your product. So what was the approach that you took? If you were telling people about Wingman, how, how did you get to that point where you were doing it in a way that you know, people were more receptive to it. And I think when you and I were talking, you were saying that you were also getting customers as well to uh, help with, you know, amplifying this word of mouth. So just tell me a little bit about that because there's, there's, a, there's a, a right way and a wrong way to do this. And I want to kind of figure out what you did. I think broadly, it wasn't us talking about us, right? You know, in most cases, it was our customers talking about us. Right. Uh, and that had two benefits. One, uh, of course, I mean, that builds trust at least 10x more than if I went and said, I have a great product, right? Versus a customer saying, hey, I'm using this, right? Like they don't even have to say anything else. Even if they say, you know, if there's a thread around, hey, what do you use for doing this task? And somebody says, oh, I'm using this, you're much more likely to go check it out versus saying, hey, I'm the founder of so and so. And, you know, we also do this. Um, so I think through that, uh, right, what we were really looking to do was just amplify the word of mouth from the customers, right? Like 
you know, in a real life uh, situation, we would have expected this to happen through events and through casual networking, you know, social settings. Uh, and, you know, what we were thinking of was just, you know, hey, today nobody can step out because of the pandemic. How do we leverage what exists in terms of still spreading the word of mouth? Um, and so it literally started out uh, that way. Uh, some of our customers initially found like some thread saying, hey, you know, I saw this discussion. Um, you know, would you want me to say something on this? And we were like, oh, that's fantastic. Uh, and so it was not us posting about ourselves, I think, which definitely helps. And I think our role in that was really just identifying where those discussions were happening at some point and then nudging our customers if needed to say, hey, you know, do you mind just, you know, sharing what your experience has been? Um, yeah, and I think that worked. Uh, one of the lessons that we that I overall learned in that journey of getting, you know, the first five customers to trying to scale that up through inbound was what you really need throughout that journey. One thing that is common is how do you build trust? And as you try to scale, how do you amplify that trust through various ways? Uh, and I think that was a big learning also from saying that, hey, we hired the sales consultant early on. Uh, you know, that person was able to set up meetings for us, but we were not able to close partially also because that trust doesn't translate. And especially if you're hiring somebody part-time, um, I think that was uh, that was a big lesson. And therefore, as we went through this journey, we were always very conscious about, hey, how do we build trust uh, and how do we continue to scale uh, the ways for building trust? And so today, the majority of your revenue is coming through inbound which I think anybody listening to this who hates the idea of going out and selling to customers, having a business that's that's vastly driven by inbound sounds great. Give us a sense of the size of the business right now in terms of revenue, customers, size of team. So, so people listening to this can understand like how much volume and sales you're actually driving through your inbound engine now. Uh, we are, uh, you know, more than 300 customers, uh, around, I think, 60 employees at this point and mid seven digits in revenue. Um, and, uh, you know, majority of that has come through inbound. And even within that, uh, majority of that has been, you know, non-paid channels. So what else are you doing inbound wise to generate that revenue aside from, I mean, the community piece, that's great. Um, I assume there's still some of that going on, but that that's not the largest driver of your sales, right? Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, you know, as you scale, you realize that different channels only scale to a certain extent. And therefore, you know, the strategy needs to keep evolving as you hit different levels of scale. Um, you know, today, of course, we uh, do invest a ton in content. Our approach to content has been, can we do something that people actually laugh at or relate to versus, you know, some more corporate jargon. Uh, and I think that has landed well. So, you know, we do partnerships uh, on Instagram uh, around, you know, fun memes on sales, things like that. Uh, just a bunch of uh, educational and thought-provoking posts on social media. So I think social media is one channel that helps us uh, build brand and be present in uh, conversations. Uh, and uh, I think the other piece uh, has definitely, so, you know, the other piece has definitely been SEO as well, uh, as, you know, things have scaled up. And I think today we have a pretty strong uh, game there. Um, and I think the third piece has definitely been, um, you know, continuing to focus on personal brand, um, you know, 
for the leaders and for other folks in the marketing team because I think that's super important. And so we uh, make sure that, uh, you know, folks are visible. And uh, yeah, I think personally, I've probably, um, you know, interacted with a lot more people being on several uh, social campaigns, podcasts, etc. Uh, and that I think, again, helps, uh, you know, uh, create that recall and brand. You sold the business in 2022 to Clary. How did that come about? Were you looking for a buyer? No, we were not. Uh, I think at that point we were uh, thinking more about a fundraise. Um, as it uh, you know transpired, uh, it seemed like uh, sales tech was on a consolidation spree. We were definitely getting that feedback from the investors we were talking to as well. Um, and you know, within a matter of a couple of weeks, we happened to get uh, inbound interest from uh, three different buyers. Uh, And, uh, you know, we hadn't started thinking about it, but, you know, I was like, hey, maybe there is something here. Let me just go and dig a little bit deeper. Um, And so that's kind of how that conversation uh, started. Um, And I think, uh, you know, as a founder, that was uh, something that I was open to at that point, uh, just in terms of, um, you know, the fundraise cycles. Uh, You know, it always makes sense to uh, consider an acquisition um, you know, before you do a fundraise where, you know, you can't really get acquired immediately after a fundraise because your investors won't be very happy about that. Uh, so I think in that sense, the timing was good. And so I decided to take a pause and just uh, explore that a bit. And then are all three of you still working at Wingman? Yes, we, uh, all three of us are still uh, working at uh, Wingman slash Clary now. Uh, and I think it's it's been an interesting journey. We've definitely seen the business scale dramatically in the last six months uh, since the acquisition, and that has been encouraging. Um, and I think it's uh, it's exciting to see that we are uh, you know on the on the good side of uh, the sales tech consolidation right now. Um, so I think that's also been great. I also want to talk a little bit about uh, you mentioned fundraising. Um, how much money have you raised from from the outside? I think you raised a seed round and then that was it? Yeah. So we uh, just raised around, around um, you know, the YC demo day and that was like a $2.3 million seed round and uh, that's the only money that we raised. And then did you, did you later go out and try to raise more money or... Yes. <laughs> so I think, um, you know, sometimes people advise that it's, you know, you should constantly be raising and at the same time not raising. Uh, and I think it's very, very hard to uh, follow that advice. Uh, fundraising uh, can be pretty distracting. Um, we did, uh, you know, try to fundraise, um, you know, in uh, 2020, um, mid of 2020 or so. And then I think uh, what we realized was, with the pandemic uh, and, you know, sales teams getting laid off, uh, we were seeing like, you know, ups and downs in our own business uh, and in the revenue numbers. And uh, what that eventually meant was it wasn't the greatest time to try and fundraise. Um, And then I think, you know, later, um, a lot of times investor sentiment uh, impacts these things. um, Right. And then as it happened, and the second time that we tried to fundraise was in the middle of the, uh, you know, when we started, uh, things were stable, but then suddenly, you know, the whole Delta variant came about and like, especially in India, it was pretty bad and investors were just focused on like, you know, helping people actually 
survive and it wasn't again the greatest time to fundraise so what you realize is that you know sometimes you can't really control the timing on these things you know in hindsight if it works out then it's great uh, right like if you're able to fundraise at the top of a, a you know valuation cycle um, but very often uh, you know as many things in business it lands up being a little bit of luck so it sounds like despite the fundraising challenges you had a little bit of luck on your side at the right time Yes. So can, um, in terms of the acquisition, I know you're not going to tell me how much you sold it for. Can you give us a ballpark, a range, something? Yeah. So um, the way we thought about the acquisition was, of course, in terms of multiples. And I think um, for us, uh, we were looking at, uh, you know, a, a kind of a multiple around um, the 15, 20x range. Um, and, uh, you know, that uh, to us uh, seemed like, uh what we wanted and we got that. Nice. All right, let's get on to the lightning round. I've got seven quick fire questions for you. Just try to answer them as quickly as you can. Okay. What's the best piece of business advice you've received? Find the context of the advice, not just the advice. What book would you recommend to our audience and why? The Chris Voss book on negotiations. What's one attribute or characteristic in your mind of a successful founder? Imposter syndrome. What's your favorite personal productivity tool or habit? I follow the Savers routine in the morning. Um, it stands for uh, silence, um, affirmation, visualization, exercise, read, and scribe. I've never heard of that before. That's a good, I like that. All right. Uh, what's the crazy or uh, new business idea you'd love to pursue if you had the extra time? Find a substitute to plastic. A substitute? Oh. Uh, what's an interesting or fun fact about you that most people don't know? Um, I've had multiple fractures. Uh, I've probably broken every limb in my body. Yikes. Uh, and finally, what's one of your most important passions outside of your work? Board games. Great. Well, uh, thank you, Shruti, for joining me today and uh, sharing your uh, story. If people want to uh, check out Wingman, they can go to trywingman.com. Is that right? That's right. And uh, if folks want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. You can look for Shruti Kapoor and maybe just add Wingman there. I should be the one who pops up. All right. We'll, uh, we'll add a link in the show notes as well to your profile. Great. Well, thank you so much for the time. And uh, I wish you and the team the best of success. Thanks, Omar. This was fun. Cheers. Do you dream of owning a profitable online business or are you looking to sell yours? Bupos.com is the number one platform for entrepreneurs and founders alike. With Bupos, you can discover exclusive listings, browse listings from other marketplaces, or submit your own deal for approval. As the first platform to offer built-in acquisition financing for qualified buyers, Bupos makes it easier than ever to acquire a recurring revenue business without personal guarantees. Their experienced M&A advisory team is dedicated to supporting you throughout the process, ensuring a smooth transaction. Don't miss out on this exciting opportunity. To learn more, visit sasclub.io slash bupos. That's sasclub.io slash B-O-O-P-O-S. Sign up today and get qualified to sell your business or find your next venture. Are you still wrestling with rigid spreadsheets that slow down your team? 
Jotform Tables is a solution you've been looking for. Jotform Tables combines the power of a spreadsheet with the flexibility of a database. You can collect your data through customizable online forms and Jotform Tables automatically organizes and stores all the data submitted through your Jotform forms. You can also import and export files and collaborate with your team effortlessly. All changes are synced in real time, so everyone is always on the same page. But Jotform Tables is more than just a spreadsheet alternative. With conditional formatting, data visualization, and more than 200 150 integrations, it's a complete productivity platform for your team. You can even automate tasks and workflows to save time. Ready to centralize your data, boost your team's efficiency, and take your productivity to new heights? Sign up for free at sasclub.io slash jotform. That's sasclub.io slash jotform. Attention SaaS founders, are you determined to scale your B2B business to that coveted million dollar ARR milestone? I've got something that can help you get there faster. Introducing the SaaS Club newsletter, your weekly companion on the journey to SaaS success. Packed with proven strategies, practical insights, and exclusive interviews with B2B SaaS founders who've been where you are, this newsletter is your ticket to accelerated growth. Each week, in just five minutes, you'll gain access to a treasure trove of growth tactics, lessons learned, and insider tips to help you navigate the challenges of the early stages and scale your business to to seven figures and beyond. So why wait? Become part of a 4,000 plus strong community of SaaS founders and entrepreneurs who are already harnessing these insights to drive their growth. Visit sasclub.io slash newsletter and subscribe to the SaaS Club newsletter today. Gain the support and expertise you need to keep forging ahead on your SaaS journey.